Brandon Puffer, author, coach, and former MLB player, joins the show today to discuss what it means to him to fully trust in Jesus throughout this life. Brandon has a unique story, to say the least, and within that story, there are a lot of trials that he's faced and a lot of successes that he's had, too. One of those trials came from making a mistake, getting arrested, and serving three and a half years in prison. Throughout our time together today, we discuss a lot of different topics, including his time behind bars, his love for Jesus, and of course, advice for athletes and more all over the world. In his new book, From the Bullpen to the State Pen, Brandon goes in-depth on his life, and I had the pleasure of getting to read the book and just ask him a few questions about his journey through athletics, through his life, through his relationship with uh, his parents, and of course, what he learned as an inmate. This conversation, and of course the book, it not only showed me how, how far Brandon has come, but it showed me how positive and honest he is about everything that he's gone through. The inspiration that I got, and I'm sure you'll get from him, is second to none. And it just goes to show how trusting in God should be our main priority wherever we wind up. Welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and I am thrilled today to introduce our guest, Brandon Puffer. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show. It really does mean a lot to me. Absolutely, Ken. I'm excited to be here. I've enjoyed our communication so far, and I thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I, I've already told the listeners a little bit about your journey uh, in the intro, um, but to be honest, I wanted to say, say right off the bat, your life has been incredible. It has been amazing, and I swear it should be a movie one day. Hopefully, you know, one day you can make it make an autobiography or something like that. Obviously, you have the book, but yeah, I would love to see a movie one day about your life. Man, well, I don't know about that. I, don't, I asked my buddies. They said the same thing. I said, well, who would play me? And one of my buddies said, Jack Black. I was like, oh, okay. I don't know if that's a compliment, but thanks. Um, I did feel led to share the story um, in a book for sure, and so I just feel honored that that story will last through that book, you know, for my family and just for anybody that needs that encouragement. And uh, no, I appreciate that, but it's definitely been, um, you know, highs and lows, peaks and valleys. But at the end of the day, it has certainly been an exciting life and just so much more, hopefully, of the story to write. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to start the conversation off today. I mean, probably this, the same question that everybody's wondering right now that's listening your book is titled From the Bullpen to the State Pen. And, you know, that's such a unique name for a book, but it's obviously it really wraps up your story pretty well. I would love it if you just first explain how you went from a bullpen playing in the MLB to literally being in a state pen, which is prison. The simple answer, Ken, is one bad night, one bad choice, a compromise of my beliefs where I had known, but this is the simple answer. Obviously, there was a culmination of you know, battles in my life leading up to this point. Um, but yeah, I basically, you know, knew at this point in my life that, you know, alcoholism was very serious for me. I had seen my dad go through it. I had been through it myself. And um, I had been sober five years during my career at one point. And I was in my 15th season of my baseball career. And, you know, I was always a reliever. So hence the bullpen. And then, um, you know, I just decided, you know what, you know, one night I'm going to hang out with the guys. We were towards the end of a season. We were the middle of a championship run, so we were kind of celebratory, you know, night, and um, I knew I should sit it out. I knew I should just do what I normally do and go home and 
read or watch TV or do something different to occupy my mind. And I decided to go out. Okay? And, I, and I actually, uh, it was a Friday night. I woke up Saturday morning in an orange jumpsuit. Um, I had blacked out and made a terrible choice, which I can go into as much or little detail as you would like, depending on your listeners. I'm, I'm wide open about it. And uh, it ultimately would cost me a five-year sentence in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice or you know, the prison, uh, the state pen, if you will. And so that's kind of how that happened. And uh, again, I mean, it's easy to say it was just one night and, and, and truly one choice can certainly affect you in that, in that way. But, you know, when you really have time to peel back the layers and I had plenty of time, I did three and a half years in prison on that five-year sentence to really look at how I got to that point. And there was certainly, you know, compromises along the way and, and thought patterns and even some, some harm. Most of it was my own doing, my poor choices. And some of it was things that happened to me as a youngster that I didn't choose. And I never really healed that young man. So I was always trying to numb myself with other things. How was your relationship with Jesus growing up and, you know, through your athletic career, through your life? How was that as, you know, as a Christian and as someone that obviously you made a mistake, but how was that all leading up to that? Yeah, so in my early childhood, it was interesting. Um, I didn't come to Christ until 1998. So I was about four or five years into my professional career. I was, I think, about 24 or five years old as well. And However, growing up, um, my mom was a, a big-time woman of faith. I mean, I literally call her like a modern-day Mother Teresa. She still is. She's a pastor at a huge church in California. She is just, she works in pastoral care. If something goes wrong in your life, from death to trouble to whatever, she's the one that's going to be at, at the bedside praying all the time. So you would think, wow, that's amazing as a young man. But it was strange. I really kind of um, resented it. Right. So I would kind of just go, you know, I would have an issue or a problem and I'd go to her and everything was like, let's pray about it. Let's see what God says, let's, which are all the answers that we know are true right now as we sit here, Ken. But as a young man, I just kind of was like, I don't get that. I don't understand that. I've only known you one way. And then my dad, on the other hand, was um, a, it was a big man, not not a man of faith at this time. He was a PK, pastor's kid. And so he was a rebel. He was a big guy, liked to drink, liked to fight, liked to do all these other things that I thought uh, that was a man, right? And so I kind of went that direction. I leaned that direction. And so, I mean, again, my mom did an amazing job of keeping us in church. My brother and I, our family, we went. Um, so certainly seeds were being planted. But in, in terms of living a, a lifestyle uh, of, of faith or especially a surrendered life to Christ, it, it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. I mean, it's definitely, you lay it out in the book really well, um, just how you grew up and how, you know, that family dynamic was. How was it on the athletic sphere? Because obviously you you were an MLB player, so you had to be a great athlete. How was that in comparison to your faith? It has some negative connotations to it if you let it, which I did. Because along with being a, a good athlete or a kid that grew early, I was that guy as well. Um, I did have success in sports. I, I loved all of them and, and, and did have some success. But I think it just comes along a lot of pride and ego. Um mm. You know, and I think that's it. That's just that dichotomy when, you know, you want to be a professional athlete, you've got to have that kind of that bulldog, nobody can beat me, I'm better than you mentality. But if you can't turn it off when you when you, when you you step off the court or off the field, it, it can definitely be a detriment. Um, if you don't have faith in your life and humility in your life, um, which was not me, I, I, was, uh, I was arrogant, I was prideful, um, I... I was good at athletics and, and knew it and, and acted that way, which is really embarrassing to share, but it was the truth. And so, um, you know, until humility, um, which for me came in, in hitting rock bottom until, you know, I surrendered to Christ and had faith, 
Um, I, I think being a good athlete was a detriment. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, and I, I had teammates that were phenomenal at it, you're given a, a platform. And so if you are humble and you are appreciative and grateful for your ability and you're sold out to Christ, what a great platform to share with others, which I thought was really awesome. And some guys handled it better than I did. I After I became a Christian in 98, I, I was, you know, I, I did do a better job of you know, having humility and, and, and having a heart for others, a servant heart. But um, yeah, it definitely took till then. And unfortunately, I didn't get it that first time either. There's so many things, so many different topics in the book. Uh, and, and I would encourage anybody, everybody listening to this to go read the book because it is so motivational. It was such an inspiration for me to read it. But I think one of the biggest topics in the book is trusting God. No matter if it was in your career family in prison you had you was a parent that you trusted in god no matter what the situation was prison obviously it changed you as a person that's what you said you literally said that in the book and how did prison time shape you to the man that you are today that's a great question and and you know the the odd answer i think is it made me a much better person Mm. a much better man and for all the reasons we just outlined um i needed humility i needed to you know, look to others and understand that this life just is not about me. One of my favorite books is Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And the very first lines are, it's not about you. And I read that book early on, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, what does that mean? You filed it away. And I really realized that when I went to prison, I really realized that there were a lot of people that were not as fortunate as me that did not have the family support I had, you know, a praying mom and my parents were together. Although my dad had his issues, they were together and they fought hard and stayed together. And my dad got sober when I was in high school and I, I got to watch the model of what, not only what it looks like to be sold out all the time, but what it looks like to actually surrender your life to Christ and change it. So I had that model for me. It was like, here it is. This is the real deal. Um, and I always had that mentality of, I need to, I need to find out for myself. I need to learn this, you know, on my own, which ended up being the hard way. And so back to your, your question though, prison changed me because I, I all of a sudden realized that, Hey, you know what, when it comes down to it and I have nothing else, literally nothing else. When I entered the system, I think I mentioned this in the book, I was on lockdown. I had my Bible and my bunk and that was it. And I realized, you know, God's all I have right now. And I realized, and you know what, he's all I need right now. And so in my selfish pursuit of my career and relationships and trying to stuff this God-shaped hole inside of me with all these negative, um, you know, negative behaviors, I was just missing the point the whole time. I think that's what the enemy does. He just keeps you, you know, he just keeps you kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Distracted, right? He just keeps you distracted with all this other stuff. And now I didn't have the distractions. And now I was like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm hearing his word and I'm listening to some things my mom had told me when I was young and I had heard when I was sitting in church because I had to be there. And all of a sudden that all came to a head and, and I just surrendered and said, you know what? This is where it got me. A godless life. I mean, God was in my life, but a, a life of pursuing my own thing and hoping God's going to bless it. This is where it got me, behind these bars. So now, hey, whatever you had to do with the rest of my life, I'm all yours. I know I should have figured it out sooner. I'm a knucklehead. It took Jonah three days in the belly of the fish. It took me a few years in the belly of prison, right? So, but I'm in. I'm all in. And so that's how it changed me. I don't know. I hope I could have got to that point without it. And, and, and But he needed to get my attention. And unfortunately, that's what it took. Mm. How did you spread the gospel in prison? Because obviously you were a Christian. 
Did you kind of, you know, did you relate to Paul in a way and your ministry in prison? I thought about that a lot. I thought about Paul a lot as I read, you know, I, I was in the Word a lot. And the, the difference I kept coming up with was Paul was in there unjustly, yeah. right? I, I did that. I put myself in there. I made the choice. And, you know, um, some people would say, well, you've never been in trouble. You didn't deserve that much time. It's like, no. From the point where I just owned it and said, I did this. I put myself in this bad situation. I made the decision. Now I'm going to face whatever comes with grace and, and, and God's grace. Um, but in order, in order to, uh, when you ask your question about how did I minister or how was I, you know, discipling in there, it was, it was really first off just by actions, right? Just by actions. Just be available. Obviously, there's guys and they're hurting. They miss their family. Um, they're struggling with all kinds of things. And, you know, so I'd be reading my Bible or I'd just be on my bunk or just posit- have a positive mindset and attitude. You know, if you've heard the, the coffee bean analogy by Damon mm-hmm. West, yep. I didn't know it at the time. But ever since I've gotten to know Damon and gotten to know that story, I was like, that's what I was doing. I was just being a coffee bean and guys would sense that because there's so much negativity. You got to really be careful about, you know, putting yourself out there when you're in there and, and looking weak or vulnerable. And they kind of saw in me, I think, a guy that they could confide in and go, hey, he's not going to judge me. He's not in all these prison politics. He's done a few things outside of here that we haven't done maybe. And so... Eventually, they'd open up to me, and, and I'd be available to them, and, um, and that would lead to conversations. And then, of course, you know, your words are only so much. You've got to walk that out, and you've got to you know, continue to be a difference in terms of how you're living when you're in there, because it, it, it's really easy to go the other way. In fact, people told me, you have no choice. You're going to have to go in there and join a gang and fight and stay with your own race and all these things. I'm like, I'm not doing it. That, that's not going to happen. Um, and so fortunately by God's protection and grace, I, I didn't do any of that. And, and I think people respected that. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. And there are so many stories that you, that you outline in the book of people that you do minister to. And there's one person that really stuck out to me. And I'm sure it sticks out to a lot of people that read the book is Bone. His nickname is Bone. Can you explain that story? Because that is such a good story. And it, it is such a good testament of, of this man that he was in there and for a bad, a bad decision that he made. But I would love if you just outline that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I actually just got some God bumps just thinking about it. Um, so just a little backstory. In prison, um, you don't ask what people are there for. You don't ask how much time they have or they're serving. And also, typically, the system puts you in you know, your cellmate, your cellie or your roommate in, in other terms is someone who's got similar time as you. And the reason for that is safety, right? I'm in there for five years. Bone's in there with three life sentences. He doesn't have a lot to lose. So they typically put those guys in together, right? Um, I was on a medical leave, um, which is just you catch a chain to the medical facility. And they had to house me somewhere, uh, just kind of a temporary housing uh, a unit just in the middle of nowhere. And so I show up at the unit and they lead me to my cell. It's super hot. It's Texas. There's no AC. It's about 120 degrees in this metal thing. And, and I, they open the cell. They put me in there. And there's a guy sitting on the top bunk. And he's in his boxers because it's so dang hot. He's got the Grim Reaper tattooed on him. He's got rage tattooed across his stomach. And I just said, hey, how's it going, man? You know, typical. What you do? Hey, how you doing? And he said, oh, immediately. I'm just trying to give some of this time back to the state. So he's, he's kind of left the door open. I said, oh, they, they gave you a lot of time. Yeah, three life sentences. And so immediately I know there's only one thing you do that gets you three life sentences. And I'm in an 8 by 10 at the very end of the run where nobody can hear us. And so my first instinct is like protection mode, right? Like, okay, I'm going to have to survive this thing, right? 
Well, I just kind of get my stuff together, get on my bunk. I have my little pocket Bible that I kept with me. I'm just reading and praying and reading and praying. And then conversation would open up and, you know, little things here and there. I mean, we're, we're locked down. We're 23-hour lockdown, and we're an 8 by 10. So it's not like you're going to avoid each other, right? And I'm glad we didn't. But um, so eventually the conversation turned more into a friendship. And to your point, Bone did a horrific triple murder. Um, he outlined the whole thing for me. It was like, um, man, it's like watching one of those shows on ID Network, but in person. You're talking to the guy yourself, and you're locked in there with him. And, you know, but what I found out, Ken, is he wasn't a terrible person. What he did was terrible. No, no way around that. But he had a bad morning, a really, really bad morning. He got his heart hurt, and he made some poor, really, really poor choices. And, and those are not reversible. You're not getting out, Bone. He's not, you know, literally he would talk about all day how he could, you know, potentially uh, escape. And then he'd look at me and go, well, wouldn't you if you were me? And I'm like, I can't argue with that. I mean, if you, I don't know what to tell you, Bone, but I, I hope that you don't. So anyway, long story short, we, we got to a point where we had a good relationship. We're joking. I'd go to the bars and holler out, hey, get me out of here. You got me in here with a killer. And he'd be like, and then we'd be more serious. And I'd say, dude, like, you, you know, you're a, you're an angry dude. He's like, I'm not an angry dude. I'm not, Puff, I'm not a, 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 an angry guy. And I go, boom, you got a rage tattooed on your stomach. You got the Grim <laughs> Reaper, man. Like, come on. And he'd laugh. And we got to that point where we could do that. And so, you know what? The time came. I was only supposed to, I thought they forgot about me. I was only supposed to be there like overnight. I was there 10 days with Bone. Wow. 23 hour lockdown. Yeah. And uh, we'd only get out for a shower here and there and then to get food. And, um, you know, as I was leaving, he said, Hey, you know, Puff, you know, it was good to know you. You know, appreciate you. Yada, yada. And then he said to me, He said, The night before you came in here, I was so, I was, I had the cell to myself. I had tied up my bed sheets and was going to hang myself because I had no hope. I only had, you know, three life sentences to look towards and your encouragement and, and, and specifically your encouragement in your pop, pocket Bible you shared with me gave me some hope. And I mean, man, where would I ever have that opportunity again to minister to someone like that, you know, without knowing it? I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that story. I just assumed, yeah, he's got a tough go at it, but I had no idea that he almost ended it. So, um, yeah, that one, that one jumps out for sure. And there was, there was other opportunities, but, um, that was, a an opportunity I'm very grateful for. Wow. Wow. And, you know, reading it in the book is something, but you telling the story is a completely different thing. Is that, wow, that's such a powerful story. And I think it just reminds me of the, the people that you, that God puts around you. And, you know, you, you literally didn't do anything to be around that man, but no matter if you're in prison, no matter if you're in, in the MLB or whatever you're doing, God puts people in front of you. And I would love if you to speak on the importance and how crucial it is to surround yourself with good people because you know you were hanging around with teammates that obviously that that you uh, made the decision with how what would you say to just being around the right people well it's obviously it's huge I, I don't think we can um you know i don't think we can say enough about how important that is you know obviously relationship with christ is going to see you through um your significant other is obviously the second most important in my opinion um, you know, choice you make. But after that, it's who you surround yourself with. You know, I think of the cliches like you hang around dogs, you get fleas, or you, you, you will be who the most, the, the five people you hang around with will tell me everything you need to know about your life. And at the end of the day, it's so true. I mean, if you're hanging around negativity and you're hanging around, you know, guys that are complaining or gossiping or, you know, whatever the case may be, it, it's going to, it's going to get on you. You're going to, you're going to start to act in that way. And now, Obviously, we need light. 
around darkness. So we need to be the light and, and be able to speak light and positivity into folks like that. If we can do it without, you know, taking on the negative connotations of the relationship. So surround yourself, have your tight knit group that's like-minded, sold out, um, positive. They're going to hold you accountable, not just tell you what you want to hear, but, you know, give you good advice and, and be real to you. And then be a light to those folks. You know, maybe it's teammates we're talking about or cellmates or whatever the case may be that need to know about Christ, that need positivity. But at the same time, th those aren't the ones that you're, because we all need to get our battery recharged as well. And that's our tight-knit group. That's our group that we really, to your point, surround ourselves with and spend the most of our time with. And that, I think, I do think you got to be very intentional about who those people are and, and always be reevaluating that. You know, is there something that, you know, kind of sucking the life out of me in this relationship. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't feel right. And, and it doesn't mean, in my, in my case, in, in my opinion, that you just have to completely cut them out, but you just have to, you know, kind of be guarded and, and understand that you're only going to go so deep with those folks. And then those folks that you know you can trust, and they'll be there on a dime for you, and, and they're, they are speaking life in you. Man, just be vulnerable and transparent and open with those, those folks so they can recharge you so you can be the light to others. Was there anything in athletics that you used in, in prison? Like anything that you learned as an athlete or, you know, as an MLB player? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, routine was very important. Um, you have idle time. You, it, can, it can feel like a really long time until you put a routine together. And same thing, you know, in your athletic career or your, or your um, you know, professional career. Having a routine and sticking to it is so important. Um, perseverance, certainly, um, you know, obviously there were some rough days and some rough things and, and, um, you know, the mental side of baseball was so important for me because it's such a game of failure and it's like, Hey, I got to replace negative thoughts with positive and, and be, and have an attitude of gratitude and just always trying to stay positive to not let that negativity suck me down in the game. Same thing in prison. I mean, just self-talk, positive self-talk, visualization meditation, controlling my breathing, like all those things I learned to help me climb to the MLB level, I used in prison. I, I really did. And so um, th those are some of the big ones for sure. Um, and then on kind of like, a, I guess, a lighter note, I ended up being for, you know, just kind of by default, uh, personal trainer to a whole lot of people in there. It was, they would see me doing like, you got to get pretty creative sometimes, depending on if there's equipment or there's not. And so I'd be pretty creative in the way I did different things. And guys would, hey, can you train me? Can you show me? So it was nothing for me to be at the back of a, of a, um, a dorm or something training, you know, 10 or, 10 or 12 guys. And it might just be variations of push-ups and jumping jacks and whatever. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of that athletic background and having some great, you know, sports-specific trainers along the way not only helped me keep my mind fresh and my body you know, in shape in there, but help me to kind of pass that along to some other folks that maybe never, never really had anyone teach them that. Is there, do you think there's a central message that you hear God telling you, whether it be, you're obviously for, as an athlete in prison and now post, you know, you've been out of prison for years now. Is there anything that God continues to just show you and teach you? Man, there's so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm still yeah. learning so, so much every day. Yeah. One of the common threads, um, for me, it's just like, just never quit. And I mean that in general, but I mean that in your faith. I think it's easy for me, and I think I've, I've talked to a lot of others that say, they just don't feel worthy. Guilt, shame, you know, I, I messed up a little bit too, too big time this time. I think I kind of outkicked God's grace this time. I just can't. And I mean, I just hear him continuously telling me, 
Uh-uh. You know what I'm taking you out of. You, you, yeah, you still have thoughts you need to get better. You still do things that are not in my will. But at the end of the day, don't quit. Keep turning to me. Keep getting up. Keep, keep your faith, you know, and I think that's the hard part. I know it weighed on me before I ever went through those consequences. Um, I didn't want people to know that I had, you know, these thoughts. I didn't want people to know that I was messed up because they looked up to me. I was a leader or a mentor to some people. And, and uh, now I'm in a position in a different way to be that as well. And that, that pride sneaks up on me again. Like, oh, yeah, I just got to act like I've always got it going on. And I'm Coach Puff Positive, right? And at the end of the day, there's times where I'm struggling. And God's going, uh-uh, don't quit. Tell somebody. Be transparent. You're not the only one. You're, I guess what I'm, really if I could sum it up, you're not alone in this. I'm with you, and there's other believers that are going through the same struggles you are. You've just got to be willing to admit it so they can come alongside of you. Yeah, the first step in beating loneliness is obviously stepping out and you know being honest because that's uh, it's such a huge and crucial thing especially as a christian like you are, you are in the body of believers you are in a church of believers that loves jesus and goes to the same things that you do you know what i mean and, and i think the power of grace that was that was outlined in the book is so apparent throughout the entire book what what have you learned about grace in your entire journey man it's just uh, <laughs> I didn't make this term up. I think you'll realize this quickly. It's amazing. <laughs> mm, amazing yeah. grace. That song. It's all I can think about. It's just so amazing that we could be such, uh, I shouldn't say we, I can be such a knucklehead and just so hurtful and selfish and prideful. All these things I was and sometimes still can be. And he still loves me the same. Like it just blows my mind. And, and to the point where, like I said earlier, in isolation, the enemy will try to talk you out of that. No way. Who do you think you are? Why would anyone want to hear your story? Look at all these things you've done. And God just keeps going right there and going, no, 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 no. You know. You know. You felt it. You, you know I'm right here. And it's like, oh, if you keep that conversation with them and you stay in your word and you just keep that line of communication open, the grace that you feel, that I feel is just amazing. And it blows me away. And maybe it's, it's the point of like the more you've messed up, the more you really appreciate it. And I've messed up so much, but it's like, man, I just can't believe that kind of love. Because it's not a hu- it's not the way we love as humans. Um, it's like, you know what, man, you kind of made me mad. I don't, I, don't, I don't really like you anymore. I don't even think I love you anymore. And I still go through that. I'm like, really? God did this for me? And, and I'm judging people based on they offended me and, you know, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I don't think I have the right words for it, but it, it's just... It's so intense and so, so awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is so amazing. And, and there's nothing we can do to earn that. Nothing at all. It is, it's just so crazy. Brandon, listening to, to podcasts you've been on, to reading your book and learning more about you while you know doing research for this, I've noticed just how positive you are. And you are one of the most positive people I've ever heard. How have you maintained a, such a positive character and positive outlook on life throughout everything you've been through um just being intentional can honestly like i don't think i always feel that way um you know yeah. certainly but i think from the time i get up in the morning and again back to kind of routine um i don't think it would take me very long if i got out of routine and i didn't get in my word and i wasn't praying and i didn't go over like affirmations and meditation and control my breathing all these different things i kind of outlined that helped me I don't think it would take me very long to for people to go, man, Coach Bob positive, not so positive. And so I think uh, 
that negativity is always creeping. But I try to be really good and intentional about, you know, uh, get up. First thing I do is go through a list of what I'm grateful for. God, what's your plan for me today? Just show me. Before I walk in a building, be at the gym, or when I go to coach young men or give pitching lessons, um, my wife gave me an affirmation that she feels is true about me. She says, your presence is your power. And so I walk in, I say, your presence is your power. Help me be a light in this place. Help me to truly be a light to somebody today. And just be intentional about that. And God shows up every time. And sometimes it's just a quick smile or, or an encouraging word or whatever the case may be. And I think selfishly, when you make someone else feel good, you feel good, right? You start giving that out and start getting it back. And it's like, man, this is a great way to live. But again, I, I do believe if I was to let all that go and just go, oh man, this is just me. I'm just a good guy. I'm a positive guy. It's like, uh-uh. We know what you, we know what you are deep down underneath without God's love and without these practices that he's kind of put in your life. So um, that's it. Just in being intentional about it. And, and, and it really does come down to being grateful too. I mean, sometimes I'll just literally be like, oh man, I just, I'm free. Like, thank God I'm free. You know, because when you're in there and you're in depth of that, like when I was in prison, you just think like, what would it even be like again to be free? And then you take things for granted because, you know, like you said, I've been out, I don't know, a long time now and life's been good. He's redeemed so much to me. And now there's days where you kind of forget you know, and, and I didn't plan on sharing this, Ken, but I was coaching a 14U baseball tournament this weekend, and the umpire who I spent two games with passed away as I was praying over him, and guys were doing CPR this weekend. And again, it was another one of those life moments of like, man, don't take anything for granted. You never know. Yeah. So just, just being grateful for every breath, for every moment, really does, or should, I think, help people to, to take on a more positive attitude. Mm. Wow. Wow. That is... That's powerful. And, and I think it just goes to show that humanity and, you know, what we believe in this life and our relationship with Jesus is so much bigger than anything that sports can provide, anything in this world can provide. And it, it, that's, that's very, thank you for sharing that, first of all, and definitely pray for those, pray for those people affected and that, that, that man, hopefully he was a believer in Jesus. I know. I know his name was Gus. One thing I'm really adamant about is that, I don't know how much baseball you're around, but everybody calls them blue. Right. I mean, you've heard oh, yeah. that, right? So it's like, yeah. no, they have names. So I'm really adamant. Um, I think it's because in pro ball, if you call them blue, they're going to they're going to let you know. <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, <laughs> I don't call you player, so don't call me blue. And um, so I don't know. I've carried that over. Rather, that's a good habit. And I've carried it over to our, you know, any, any team I coach. And so I get their names at the home plate thing. I write them down on the lineup card. I say, guys, if you have something to say, these guys call them by their name. So his name was Gus. And um you know, Gus and I had some interactions. He missed some calls, and we interacted. And my mom said, you didn't yell at him, did you? And I said, we had some aggressive fellowship during the game. We also had some great conversation. And thank God, uh, at the end of the game, I said, Gus, great job. And he said, you know, Coach, you too. You got a great group. And then I saw him again in the parking lot. Thanked him again. Five minutes later, I got in my car, and I saw a commotion. And I, I, I jumped out just to see, like, what can I do, if anything? And at that point, they were already doing CPR. And I'm like, oh, man, that's Gus. And all I need to do is just hold on to his legs and pray in Jesus' name, like, please bring him back. Please, 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 please. And he's going in and out. And, um, you know, the medics came, and I'm not medically trained. And so as soon as they had it, I got my car, and I text the guy who ran the tournament. I said, please, please keep me updated on Gus. Please. He's on my heart, and we're praying. And my mom had him on the prayer team, and, and they text me later and said he passed away. And so to your point, it's like, man, I, you know, here we are arguing over balls and strikes and Again, thank God we had we did have a really good positive interaction, you know, most of the time. But it's like, 
you know, fans too, or, oh, that's a ball, that's a strike, and this man lost his life that day, and I don't know his family situation. I know he was a sweet man. He's a little bit elderly, had some medical problems, but, like, yeah, yeah, Ken, you just don't know, man. We're just not guaranteed anything. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. I think it's a, it's a great illustration of that. And, Brandon, you know, the last question that I have for you, I mean, you kind of just answered it. How have you applied what you've learned in your life now that you're a coach, you're an author, you do so many different things? How have you applied what Jesus has done for you in your life right now? To your point of just kind of answering it, I think it's it's just waking up every day with a, knowing that if he does wake me up, that he's got a purpose for me. Like, I just don't believe anymore that there's any, like, purposeless days. That doesn't mean, like, I'm super motivated or even productive every day, but just, hey, okay, you woke me up. You've got a plan for me. You know, I know there's something. There's no accident where you're just going to have me wandering around out here. I mean, you know, folks lose their life every day as we just outlined. So if, I, if, I have the, if I'm fortunate to have another day, there's something for me. And so I think just, just doing that and then ultimately, you know, going, okay, God, I just want to be the best version of me today. Like I can't be what Ken's good at or I can't be what Ed Milet's good at or whoever else, some guys I look up to, but I want to be the best version of me. And when I instill that in the kids I coach, it's like, guys, I'm not saying that you've got to be 100% um, successful every day. I am saying that your attitude, your effort, your energy level needs to be 100% every time you come because not everybody has an opportunity to play today. You know, physically or mentally, they weren't capable. And if we're out here, we're going to be 100% of what we have that day. Um, so just not taking a day for granted or in baseball terms, a play or an at-bat for granted. But, you know, being locked in and being the best version of yourself every opportunity you get. And, and I certainly fail at it all the time, but that's the mindset and that's the that's the goal for me. And it's all because I know that that Jesus gave me that extra day, that extra breath. Amen. Yeah, that's that's such a great answer. Brandon, this was so enjoyable. I, I loved every single part of uh, talking with you and reading your book. For those out there, you've got to go get from the bullpen to the state pen. It is such a great read. But Brandon, thank you again for giving your time. Um, I'm just so, so thankful of the inspiration that you that your story presents and you as a human. Oh, Ken, it's my pleasure, man. I really enjoyed it. It flew by, man. So we know we had fun. <laughs> and I just, yeah. I just want to say thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share. Thank you. All right. Well, for all the listeners out there, as we close it down today, please make sure to send me a DM, an email, a text, send me a message on how you see God in sports today. Like I said last week, I don't care if you're a player, a coach, a parent, does not matter. This new segment on the podcast is going to highlight Christians in sport that see Jesus whenever they sip on the field or whenever they watch a game. This could be a story, an example, or maybe just a couple of sentences, and I'll make sure to give you a shout out with your message on the podcast. I'll make sure to put my email and social information in the description, so please make sure to do that for us. But as always, share this episode and subscribe to the show. It it means more to us than you know. But if you don't get anything else from this, just remember this. Jesus loves you and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.